Last minute escapes. In the sun? What is the best airline? Or the worst airline? What happens if my flight is delayed? Or cancelled? Would I be put on a new flight? Or would I be refunded? What if it takes me days to get home? Hmm. Benefits of a UK staycation. When life gives you questions, get answers at which.co.uk. Welcome to the Witch Money Podcast, your weekly hit of money news and personal finance hacks to help make you better off. I'm your host, Lucia Ariano, and here's what's coming up this week. It's slightly painful to, to, to share it because I've been writing about Section 75 for years and years and years. I really should have been aware, aware of this. I then contacted third party who I put the tickets through and requested a refund, but they were trying to kind of send me down rabbit holes and kept coming up with excuses as to why they couldn't give me a refund. We're urging the government to make sure that Section 75 remains protected in legislation as it currently is, and also to look at making updates that will plug those gaps in protection that can impact purchases made by secondary cardholders, as well as payments made through third parties. This week on the podcast, we're hearing about a decades-old consumer law that could help you recover your cash if something doesn't go to plan with a purchase you've made. We're talking about something called Section 75, the piece of legislation that means if there's a problem with a product or service you bought with a credit card, you could be entitled to a refund from your card provider. Well, today we'll be getting into the nitty-gritty of how it works, sharing everything you need to know to shop protected. And we'll also be looking at how the rules might change as a result of a government review that's currently underway. To make sense of this hefty piece of law and its limitations, I'm joined by the brilliant podcast regular and editor of Which Money magazine, Jenny Ross. Welcome back. Hi, Lucia. Thank you very much. Well, first then, Jenny, let's start with what is Section 75 and when does it apply? Well, I feel like listeners are going to have to bear with us a little bit here, because if you haven't already heard of Section 75, I feel like the name itself is hardly going to make you want to find out more, is it? Um, (laughs) But we're going to need to look past that because it really can be a godsend if there turns out to be a problem with something you've bought with your credit card and you're struggling to get your money back from whoever you bought it from. Um, And that is because Section 75 makes your credit card provider jointly liable with the retailer or the seller, the merchant. Um, in these cases. So providing the item or service costs more than £100 and less than £30,000, those those, uh, thresholds are really, really key. Um, Mm. Providing that's the case, you can ask your card company for a refund if, for example, uh, you don't get the item or service um, that you've paid for, it doesn't get delivered, it ends up being not what you expected, not as described, or um, the retailer you know, has has gone out of business before you ended up getting what you paid for. So it's a really solid um, piece of protection. And if that if that wasn't enough, you don't actually even need to use your card for the full payment to be potentially protected for the total value of the item. So let's say you bought a 
uh, new carpet that's <laughs> obviously front of my mind um, <laughs> I've been doing a bit of a DIY recently um, so you bought a new carpet for 500 pounds and you paid a 50 pound deposit on your credit card and the rest by debit card even though that deposit was less than 100 pounds um, your credit card provider would still be liable to refund you the full 500 pounds of the full value of the item if something were to go wrong so Section 75, it really is something that consumers really need to know about. But unfortunately, there are a number of problems that people come up with against their claims. And it often boils down to a dreaded break in the chain between you and your credit card provider. Jenny, can you explain what this is all about? Yeah. So so I mentioned that cru- crucial requirement for the purchase that you've made to be worth more than £100 and less than £30,000 for Section 75 to apply. But that's, that's not all the criteria. Whether or not you have a valid claim relies also on a really technical point. So that is that there must be a direct link between three parties. That's you, the customer, your credit card provider, and the business um, supplying the the goods or or service that you've bought. That link is broken if you buy something from a third-party seller. So that could be um, things like travel agents as well as online marketplaces. So even if you were to buy um, an item costing £500, which which would qualify, you paid with with your credit card, you're ticking those boxes – if you've broken that um, that crucial chain between those three parties, then unfortunately, your claim is going to be rejected. And unfortunately, uh, this requirement is something I now know all too well because it has caught me out in the past. Well, Jenny, do you want to share your story with our listeners? Because we were talking about it before the show, and I really think it illustrates both how Section 75 protection works and where it can fall short. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, it's it's slightly painful to, to to share it because I've been writing about Section seventy five for years and years and years. I really um, I really should have been aware aware of this, but I'm going to put it down to um, pandemic brain and being very preoccupied with everything that was going on at that time. But anyway, yes, I was due to travel to Nepal in March 2020 to go trekking in the Himalayas. Amazing, obviously. I know. Sadly, I still still haven't been, but maybe one day. Sorry, um, salt in the wound, that- isn't it? Sorry, <laughs> right. <laughs> right yeah. obviously that didn't happen um so I contacted the travel agent I booked through and it offered me credit to use against another trip mm-hmm. which which I was I was fine about but uh, unfortunately not long after that the travel agent unfortunately went bust so I turned to my credit card company and and lodged a section 75 claim long story short that claim was rejected and if you listen to my previous answer you can probably see why it's because I booked through a travel agent but the um the tour that I had booked this this trek was being supplied by another company Mm -hmm. so I can quote you some of the email that I received from my credit card firm at the time you know explaining oh go on It said it can only be held liable under Section 75 if there is a direct relationship between it, the card company, and the supplier of the tour I'd booked. Uh, When you made the purchase in question, the payment from your credit card went directly to the travel agent who then passed funds to the supplier. Consequently, there is no direct relationship 
between us and the supplier and we cannot be held liable for any breaches of contract or misrepresentation on behalf of the travel agent as they are not considered a supplier within the definition of section 75 in this instance anyway that's a slightly jumbled paraphrase version it's a mouthful, of a much isn't it? longer <laughs> email but you you get the gist so yeah obviously it was very disappointing it was mm. you know a fairly chunky amount of money and um it, you know to, to make matters worse, this <laughs> I'd waited a year um, to be told uh, told that it wasn't successful because uh, of the backlog in claims from the, from the pandemic. Obviously, so many of us during that period um, had bought, um, you know, experiences or events, you know, pay for tickets that, that we that we weren't able to use. So, yeah, unfortunately, that's my only first hand experience of Section 75 so far. It w- wasn't the most successful one. It, it's tricky, isn't it? Because when you buy something... Um, you don't always think about protection because you're hoping that things aren't going to go wrong, that, you know, the, the prospect of problems aren't really, it's not really at the front of your mind, is it? So I, I automatically try to pay for big ticket items using a credit card because I know that extra layer of protection will be there. But in that case, you know, I didn't think for a second about the fact that I'd use a travel agent and that actually might scupper a future claim but hey hear my cautionary tale and and <laughs> hopefully um listeners will um will will think about it in future oh i'm so sorry to hear that happen to you jenny i mean listeners hearing your story they might be thinking well should i never be booking through a travel agent again because technically that means that i wouldn't be protected by section 75 and as you say these purchases can be very high value can't they yeah it's, it's a good point Lucia. i mean it's 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 a limitation that is definitely worth being aware of and yeah that has that has always been the case with section 75 i guess the pandemic has really you know shone a spotlight on the fact that that um that can scupper claims mm. um if if you're if you're using section 75 and and of course pre-pandemic you know travel agents were not going out of business <laughs> with with the regularity that they did in the pandemic you know t- it was a t- terrible um number of businesses that um that, that went under as, as a result i would say no, no this sh- this shouldn't be caused to avoid third party sellers altogether it's something to be mindful of and actually the really good news here is that there is another safety net separate to, to section 75 that you can pursue um in these cases yeah it's i'm actually really pleased you mentioned that now jenny because we do have a brilliant case study kind of illustrating this other type of protection later in the show so do keep listening for that. But now going back then, Jenny, to Section 75, it's so frustrating, isn't it, that even when you might think you're protected, you can be tripped up by technicalities. And things can get even more confusing, can't they? Because that chain between you, your credit card provider and the supplier can also be broken by the way your payment is processed. Yeah, this this is is where where the grey areas really um, really start to kick in. Um, so most payments in shops um, are processed via card schemes in a way that keeps that crucial link between you, the card provider, and the supplier intact. But with the rise of online shopping, digital payments, new payment processes. Transactions are starting to be handled in in other ways, um, and sometimes that can make it very hard to tell whether Section 75 protection still applies. So, for example, instead of a payment going directly to the supplier, it can sometimes be collected from you by an intermediary, but without you you really knowing about that. 
and if that chain is is broken, as we as we know now, <laughs> Section seventy five uh, may not apply. So we we have heard um, from customers uh, over the past few years who have lost that vital legal protection because they've paid for goods via third parties. You know, PayPal being being the most prominent example there. And I should say it's it's not the case that PayPal's involvement will always invalidate a Section seventy five claim because there are lots of different types of PayPal transactions. So you could be making one where money is coming directly out of your PayPal balance, but you can also have one where PayPal is acting as the payment processor behind the scenes um, and you you might not be aware of it. But because of this potential confusion, it kind of is best to avoid being logged into a PayPal account when, when making an online payment if you want to be sure of Section 75 protection although that said paypal does have its own protection scheme in place which which can be really useful so yeah this this is this is much less clear cut than the involvement of a a third party seller you know more often than not you'll know if if you're paying uh, you, you know if you're buying something through an intermediary but it's not always easy to know how your payment is being processed because all of that stuff really tends to happen behind the scenes Jenny, it's interesting with PayPal, isn't it? Because, okay, so you can log out of your account and hopefully then you won't be tripped up by by that one. But what if, you know, there's a payment processor being used in the background that it's actually almost impossible to know about or to avoid? So to give you an example, when I booked my wedding venue, and this was pre-COVID for a wedding during COVID, podcast listeners will will have heard a lot about this story. Um, so I booked um, direct with the venue um, and actually there was a payment processor being used behind the scenes, which I didn't know about at the time. My credit card provider actually declined my Section 75 claim. And that was because of this payment processor being used behind the scenes. But of course, I had no choice but to pay for the, the venue at the time using the car provider because that was the only option available to me. And it makes it so difficult for consumers, doesn't it? Because what are we supposed to do in those situations when this is all happening behind the scenes? Um, and, and really, our hands are tied as consumers, aren't they? Yeah, I, I think this this illustrates perfectly how the... Um you know, the law as it was written nearly 50 years ago now just just hasn't kept pace with with the changing payments landscape and is creating these these really tricky, unexpected scenarios where, you know, consumers have done everything in their power to make sure that they're they're protected for their purchase and then are um, are thwarted um, by, by something they they really had no control control over um and it's it's exactly why actually you know examples like this is why the the law is now being looked at again a hundred percent jenny you know with so much confusion there's no doubt a huge case for section 75 to be updated and on this we've been talking to witch journalist marianne cownan and here she tells us about the changes which would like to see So what's really timely at the moment is that the government is currently consulting on reforming the Consumer Credit Act of 1974. So this is the legislation that regulates all your credit card purchases and personal loans and includes Section 75. And the government is saying that the consultation is designed to bolster existing consumer protections and help ensure essentially that customers remain adequately protected in the increasingly digital economy that we've got and which has responded to it. And within that, we're urging the government to make sure that Section 75 remains protected in legislation as it currently is. 
and also to look at making updates that will plug those gaps in protection that can impact purchases made by secondary card holders, as well as payments made through third parties. We'd also like to see Section 75 extended as soon as possible to cover purchases made through buy now, pay later services like Klarna, Clearpay, that sort of thing. Buy Now, Pay Later really is a brilliant example of something that wasn't around back in 1974 and should really be taken into account in the law now. Jenny, Marianne also mentioned issues with secondary credit card holders. Can you tell us a bit more about that? Yeah, this this is another um, tricky area, a potential loophole that is that is worth being aware of. Um, and that's that if a purchase is made by the secondary card holder and the primary card holder doesn't benefit from that purchase, then Section 75 won't apply. So we recently heard about this um, via a witch member who was caught out when his wife used their credit card to pay for a package holiday, but the travel company stopped trading before the date of the trip um then when the when the member came to launch a section 75 claim it was refused because he as the primary card holder was not due to join his wife on that holiday if they had been going together then it's likely that they would have have made a successful claim because it's clear that the primary card holder would have benefited uh, from from the purchase so yeah, it's a grey area that's really worth being aware of and means that it's probably a good idea for, for the main cardholder to, to make any of the big purchases themselves to, to, to make sure you benefit from that protection. I mean, there are so many layers to this, aren't there? But clearly, Section 75 is a really valuable consumer protection, even though there are plenty of situations where it doesn't apply. Well, the good news, as we mentioned earlier, is there is another safety net you might be able to fall back on in these cases, and that's chargeback. Let's first hear how this helped David Lee from Barnes, who managed to get a refund on his flights to Rome after the world went into lockdown in 2020. So my story goes back right to the start of the pandemic yeah unfortunately me and some friends had were due to be going on a on a stag do to Rome but that was in the first week of yeah when the kind of UK went into lockdown in the end we started trying to reclaim and uh, get refunds on our money unfortunately I had booked my flights from London to Rome for a third party rather than direct with the airline which just made life that bit more difficult so I used a credit card. Um, my credit card provider was Tesco Bank. Um, I then contacted um, the third party who I put the tickets through and yeah, requested a refund, but they were trying to kind of send me down rabbit holes and kept coming up with excuses as to why they couldn't give me a refund for the tickets, which were about £175 um, from memory, which was quite a significant amount of money for me at the time. I then contacted Tesco Bank, who were really helpful, and asked for me to provide all my evidence for conversations with this third party and um, any kind of supporting information. And then it then went to a review and they kind of reviewed my whole case. Um, Unfortunately, the third party then appealed, which I understand gave them a kind of 45-day window where Tesco Bank would consider my case further. And thankfully, in the end, um, they ruled in my favour and I was refunded the money. But it was a, a long, drawn-out process, um, which thankfully yeah, ended, ended I think, with the, the right outcome. Jenny, can you explain what's at play here, how chargeback works and how it compares to Section 75? 
yeah it's 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 great to hear that um that success story from from Dave because actually I mean that's that's a parallel situation to the one that that I was in um and really had I tried a chargeback claim that might have been <laughs> that might have been more successful because that requirement for there to be an unbroken link between you and the credit card company and the supplier doesn't exist um with chargeback but it does impose a time limit on claims unlike section 75 so Actually, by the time I found out that my Section 75 claim hadn't been successful, it was too late for me to launch a, a chargeback claim. Mm. But anyway, back, back back to basics. Chargeback is it's a broader protection than Section 75 in that it extends to debit and prepaid cards as well as credit cards. And it also covers purchases of any value. So you can forget about that um, more than £100, less than £30,000 requirement that applies to Section 75. The drawback with chargeback um, is that unlike section 75 it's not a legal protection it's basically a set of guidelines agreed by the card network so that's uh, mastercard uh, american express and visa and it allows you to ask for a transaction to be reversed if you're struggling to get your money back directly from the retailer um, but clearly it's another really valuable potential route to a refund and just to go back to a point you made at the beginning there, if you're in a situation where you know you think, okay, well, I might be able to put in a chargeback claim and a Section 75 claim, is it a piece of advice then that you, you probably should go for chargeback first? I think it is. And I, I think my example shows why. Um, because crucially, there, there is that time limit that applies to chargeback claims. So it's usually mm. 120 days from the date you paid for or received the goods. In my example, I, yeah, I guess I could have attempted a chargeback claim after my section 75 one was rejected, but because it took the card company a year to <laughs> to get back to me, obviously that was, that was way beyond the 120 day oh, yeah. requirement. Um, so yeah, you, your instinct might be to go, go with section 75 because that is, that is the stronger legal protection. And that was probably my instinct at the time. But because of that time limit with with chargeback, you may as well see see if that works. Um, and if it doesn't, hopefully Section 75 will, will pull through. And Section 75 doesn't have a time limit. Um, so yeah, other than should should, should be clear um, for, for all the legal buffs out there, <laughs> there is the statute of limitations, which is five years in Scotland and six years in the rest of the UK. But clearly, you've got a lot more time to play with than you have with with chargeback. The key with chargeback, um, just to be aware, is that you'll generally need to try to get your money back from the retailer first before you can approach um, your card company. But uh, yeah, with Section 75, that's that's not necessarily the, the case. Thanks, Jenny. Really crucial bit of, of advice to mention there. And, you know, now to finish then, we've gone through such a lot today. Could we summarise um, some of the biggest need to knows when shopping for our listeners to protect purchases against something in, in case something goes wrong? Yeah, let's try to distill <laughs> all of the slightly <laughs> tricksy um, consumer protections here. So... First of all, if you're paying for a big ticket item, it's, it is well worth using a credit card so that you benefit from that hefty legal protection in Section 75. But if something does go wrong, as we've just been saying, 
it might not be the best port of call just because um, of the time limit that applies to chargeback. You might want to consider making a chargeback claim first and see how you get on before going ahead with with Section 75 if you need to. And then if you do need to make a claim, whether that's whether you're doing chargeback or Section 75, do it yourself. There is no need to involve a claims company um, that's going to charge to do it on your behalf. And it, it really is a pretty straightforward process. We actually have a free tool on our website um, that can help you make a claim, both for chargeback and Section 75. So if you if you want to check that out, just go to which.co.uk forward slash section dash 75. Um, and ultimately, remember that for, again, both Section 75 and chargeback claims, if you're not happy with the outcome or the explanation for why your claim's being rejected um, from your card provider, you can then ask the Financial Ombudsman Service to, to review your case um, and you, you, you might get, get better luck that way. Unfortunately, there's no, there's no deadline for your card company to, to respond to you, to give you an outcome, as my case prob- probably shows. The, um, the regulator, I think, uh, asks them to do it within a reasonable time frame, whatever that means. If you look back through ombudsman data, you'll see a lot of complaints relating to delays, particularly in the pandemic, of course, when claims spiked. Hopefully now that backlog will be will be in the past. So yeah, you can expect it to be dealt with a bit more speedily. But yeah, don't forget that the ombudsman is there if, if you need to take things further. A huge thank you to Jenny and Marianne for coming on the show today and to you for listening to this week's episode of the Witch Money Podcast. If you enjoyed today's show, please do hit subscribe to make sure you catch us again next week. For more money news and advice, find us on social media at witchmoney and online at witch.co.uk forward slash money. And we also have a free money newsletter, which is delivered to your inbox every Monday. To sign up, visit witch.co.uk forward slash money newsletter. This episode of the Witch Money Podcast was written by me, Lucia Ariano, produced by me and Rob Lilly, and edited by Rob, with additional support from Grace Witherden and Matthew Jenkins.